0: And I don't know what your story is tonight. But I do know his story. And I know one moment with God can change everything. And I know what one word from God can do. I'm so excited about the theme growing pains. And a process pain with you, different types of pain this week. But I just need you to know how honored. Lexi and I are to be here. How serious were you taking the opportunity? And we've just prayed, Lord, what we've seen you do. Do it again. Now, before I get too serious and start crying (laughs) uh, again, my name's Juan. I know it's a surprise to you, but I am indeed older than Pastor Izzy. I get that question a lot. And, uh, and Lexi's my wife. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Can I get an amen, somebody? You know what? Let me just say this. I don't deserve her, but thank God that he gives us far more than we could ask for or imagine in Jesus' name. All right? We have the privilege of being directors at James River Youth in Springfield, Missouri. And we've got two babies. All right? One almost three and one... Who likes to bully our three-year-old? Can we show that picture real quick? Uh, So that's us. That was last year, all right? Uh, The one in Lexi's hands has gotten bigger. The one uh, in my hands has gotten louder, praise the Lord, all right? He can actually speak English now, so praise God for that, all right? I like to think that he got his prayer language before he started actually speaking in English in Jesus' name. Uh, but the one, the one in the Mickey sweater—that's Jay, aka Juan the Third. And no, I did not name him that because I'm junior, and I think I'm awesome. Uh, we had a really good dad, and so I thought, you know what? That'd be awesome if we just carry the legacy. And then Cruz is the one in uh, Lexi's arms. Cruz Angel—he's like our Sour Patch kid. First, he's sour, and then he's more sour, and then he's sweet. All right. And so uh, that's that's our family, and we believe this ministry is not what we. It's not what we do. It's our life. And so when we come, like I said before, as we're coming here to Illinois to talk with you guys, to hang out with you guys, do life with you guys, we don't consider this work. And you are not our job. You're a part of our life and we're excited to be a part of yours. I want to show honor first to Pastor Joey. Can Can we just show honor to Pastor Joey real quick? Like... Listen, to share the platform is a privilege. I know that being a director. And so I don't take that lightly. And Pastor Joey is a legend, not just in the city of Chicago, but we have heard of Pastor Joey and his exploits down in Hillbilly, Missouri. Okay. And let me just say this, to have a youth pastor and a lead pastor who has stuck around this long, fought the good fight, built relationships in this community, that's, that's not a common thing. And so, once again, if you think you have the best lead pastor on the planet, would you just make some noise for Pastor Joey? Yeah. It's so funny. That's, I like consider him one of, the, one of the homies, but except every time he's tried to hang out with me in Springfield, I've been sick, and things have not been able. So I actually have not. I don't think I've met Joey in person, but I feel like we're best friends. So that's fine. You know what I mean? That's how we roll as Puerto Ricans. You know what I'm saying? Can I just get something off my chest that I have not been able to say since I moved to Missouri? Just there's this expression in our community when something is just good or is dope or it tastes good or the glory of God hits you. I just need to get it off my chest, all right? And don't judge me. Maybe you don't say this anymore, but I haven't said it since I left the city. So I just need to let out a good weapon. All right? Woo! Woo! What? Hey! somebody aceite. you know what I mean somebody find me the oil you know? alright I'm done oh that, man I felt we can just go to the altar after that hallelujah <laughs> now I want to show honor to some other people and I may be biased but they're really special to me you guys do know that you have the greatest set of youth pastors on the planet right you do know that you do know that Being, listen, being a youth pastor is not easy. It requires a lot of sacrifice that people don't see. Talking about growing pain and suffering, there's a little bit of that involved in it too. But you would never know from Pastor Izzy or Pastor Ariel. Their commitment to build the church, fight the good fight of faith, and see you, move into the calling that God has placed on your life is just out of this world. I know this, both of them, not just Izzy, but both of them have a love for Jesus that challenges me. You know what's incredible to think? I thought, I mean, personally, Izzy, Pastor Izzy is my favorite worship leader to ever live on this planet. You can't convince me there's somebody more anointed. And if you wanted to try, I'd just walk away, all right? And Ariel is an extremely gifted, extremely in tune worship leader as well. But you know what's scary? And I've said this from the moment that they picked up, that Izzy picked up a bass guitar. I said this from the moment they said they were leaving Springfield is that as good as they were, as anointed as they are in worship, they're better at pastoring, they're better at discipling. I just want you to know how fortunate you are and how much they love you to be here to literally pack up from family and to come here and create new family and and what they've experienced in Missouri with the Lord moving to try to come and cultivate that here that's a big deal so here's what I need you to do don't sit I will literally go over and stand above you if you stay seated test me you think he's crazy I'm crazy all right I've been shot at I'm crazy all right you you don't know, but you're gonna get to know me real quick. All right. So on the count of three, I need you to stand up on your feet. And they would never ask me to do this. They didn't ask me to do it, but they deserve it. Would you stand up on your feet and show appreciation and honor to your lead past, your your youth pastors? Come on. All right. All right. <laughs> Have a seat. Have a seat. Now, now, now I've heard, I've heard that he likes to do a thing with you guys. I'm just gonna do it because I feel like house rules, okay? Uh, I'm gonna do my best at it. I'm not him, all right? But I, I heard that he likes to start off his nights and messages by he's got a little slogan, you know what I mean? So I'm just gonna give my shot at it. Hey, yo! Wow. That's powerful. See, in God's country, the Midwest, what I like to do before messages, maybe you can try it with me, all right? I compromised. I did it with you. Now you're going to do this with me. In the Midwest, I like to start off every message by saying, somebody give me a year, all right? Okay, we're going to try it with a little bit more enthusiasm, all right? I'm like your crazy uncle that's come to visit, all right? I need you to show me something, okay? Show me something, all right? Here we go on the count of three. Let me let me get a yeah, ready. One, two, three. Yeah. Okay. And now we can preach. You ready for God's word? I love it. Well, I wanna I wanna start off with a story first. Okay. When I was when I was like five, six, maybe seven, maybe eight, you're like, that's a wide age range. I know, I don't remember. I was young, all right? Uh when I was young, I remember having really extreme pain in my feet. Anybody just had massive foot pain? It's like the one type of pain you really can't get over because what do you do that's not on your feet? You know what I mean? Like most of the day, all right? And if your feet don't hurt because you ain't working, that's another message, all right? But I remember having these massive pains in my feet, so bad to the point where like it was just, I was unconsolable. I would go to my parents about it. And it got to a point where they started scheduling regular appointments to try to figure out what was wrong with my feet. Go to the first appointment. They can't find anything. Go to the second appointment. They try to give a couple, uh, not prescriptions, but recommendations. Stretch this. Move that. Bop it. Twist it. Pull it. All right. They try to do a bunch of none of it. None of it works. I believe the third time. And again, I was young. I'm just trying to fill in the blanks here. But I think the third time we went and got x-rays and they didn't show anything was wrong, which was interesting because although, although the pain felt bad, there was nothing wrong. And so on the fourth doctor's appointment, I remember the doctor saying, look, there's nothing, actually, there's nothing wrong. And I remember my parents processing that with the doctor. And the doctor was like, yeah, I know that it hurts and I know the pain is bad. But the reason your son is experiencing pain in his feet is because he's getting ready to experience exponential growth. See, what I didn't know at the time is, although the pain felt bad, what was going to be produced from the pain was good. I didn't, know, I didn't know it at the time because I was young and I didn't understand, but that pain, although it wasn't my preference, had a purpose. That pain was the result It was was almost like a preparation, like, hey, get ready, because you're about to grow. And let me just tell you, I went from, like, Frodo Baggins to the, you know, I'm not a giant, but, like, I'm not a small body either, you know what I mean? So shout out to all my short kings in the room, all right? Shout out to all my short kings. But obviously, for all my logic-driven people, (laughs) For all the logic-driven people who are ready to critique the tar out of this message, all right, let me just help you draw the right conclusion. The pain was bad, but the product was good. Pain produced growth. And I'm going to give you, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to give you just bonus content. Before we start the message, you have to know this, that pain, although it's not our preference, always has a purpose, And God will allow pain. I'm not going to say he causes pain, but he will allow you to experience pain because sometimes on the other side of pain is growth. Sometimes on the other side of pain is glory. Sometimes on the other side of your pain is his perfect will being accomplished for your life. So before we go to tomorrow, before we get to the altar, we all just need to process pain through the right lens. It may not be our preference, but it always has a purpose. And if you're in the room tonight and you've experienced any type of pain leading up to this moment, or if you're in this room and as we were singing, you felt the glory of the Lord, you felt the Lord moving in your life, you felt them stirring in your heart because you're currently walking through pain. You need to know this. That pain leads to his glory. You, If you're feeling pain tonight, or I'll say this, there's a special grace in the room. I'm going to say it before we even get to the altar. There is a grace in the room, the presence of the Lord. When I say that, I mean this. There is a heavy weight in the presence of the Lord to do some specific things tonight. And one of them is to eradicate or eliminate any lasting effect that pain processed negatively in your life has left in you. I'm talking trauma. I'm talking wounded hearts. I'm talking your mind and your emotions. So if you're experiencing pain and some of that bubbled on the bus ride, or you were like, listen, I'm a youth pastor. I get it. I've had kids come on the bus for camp and want to get off the bus because they're like, I can't take this. I got things to do my schedule, or I'm just anxious. When the reality is in their heart of hearts, They knew that at camp they were gonna have to confront some things. Maybe that was you. On the bus right here, you felt God stirring in your heart and you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. There's a purpose for it. So tonight I wanna talk about this. Pain, if you let it, leads to glory. And glory, out of glory, comes growth. All right? I wanna look at, I wanna look at, the Apostle Paul tonight. Anybody know who the Apostle Paul is? The Apostle Paul, if you don't know, I never want to assume. The Apostle Paul is, for lack of better words, a, a miracle story. I mean, like, the Apostle Paul started persecuting. Like, when we first find him in the Bible, he started in the Bible by killing Christians, He started in the Bible as the number one bounty hunter for the Pharisees. He was like, he was the boss of all bosses. And he has a moment with God that gloriously transforms. And the Bible says that Jesus appears to him as he's on a road to Damascus, getting ready to carry out another mission. And Jesus appears in his full weight of glory, knocks Paul off his horse, which, by the way, be prepared, because God is going to knock some people off of horses this retreat, all right? Me first, Lord. I sign up for that, all right? But he knocked Paul off his horse, and he said, Paul, why do you persecute me? And that moment left him forever changed. So we see him go from a murderer to somebody who we would consider is one of the founding forefathers of the church as we know it today. There would be no excel if there wasn't what Paul did. Paul becomes an evangelist missionary that advances the gospel everywhere. Most of his life, if you look at scripture, you see that he spends most of his life being persecuted and hunted down, which is ironic because that's how he started. He spends most of his life in prison. And instead of letting prison determine his praise or deter his purpose, he starts writing letters. What we learn from Paul is he doesn't let a low place keep him from doing what God has called him to do. So he starts writing just letters. Boom. First Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Gal- he just starts bow, 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 bow. Romans. And that all sounds good. But if you look at Paul's life, it's like, how did you do that, Paul. If you take a close look at Paul's life after he said yes to Jesus, there's more suffering after he said yes to Jesus than when he was persecuting people that were following Jesus. That's funny, isn't it? You would think that the moment he said yes to Jesus, life would become cupcakes and rainbows and everything would be great and all that. Jesus wept. All right, Jesus wept so I wouldn't have to. All right. But it gets harder. (laughs) We see that Paul gets shipwrecked. While he's imprisoned. Paul gets bit by a snake. Time out. I get bit by a mosquito. And I'm like, I'm out. Let alone a spider. Heaven forbid it will be a spider. I will, I will fly back to Missouri tonight if I see it. <laughs> and we got big body spiders out there. We got snakes out there. I saw a snake slither from my front porch to the, to the bushes in my yard. And I re- I just started second guessing everything. I'm like, Lord if this cup can pass for me. (laughs) But Paul got bit by a snake that should have killed him, and instead he ends up flicking it off like it's nothing. Paul was beaten by his own people. Paul was persecuted relentlessly. Paul was imprisoned unfairly. Paul found himself at one point in the deepest prison, the Bible says. If anybody is an expert on pain and what to do in it and through it and with it, it's the Apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul is encouraging the church in Rome, which just so happens to be a church that's walking through some difficulty. Anybody walked through difficulty before? If not, then you really are an alien in this room. <laughs> like if you've never, you, if you're a cowboy and you've never walked through difficulty, switch to the alien side, all right? Like you're not from here. You're a robot. And Jesus loves robots too, okay? But in this le- <laughs> look, it was a long day yesterday, all right? Y'all going to have to bear with me, okay? In this letter, Paul from a prison is encouraging the church in Rome. He's saying, don't give up. I know it's hard. I know that sometimes life throws you pain. And he's saying, stay strong in the faith. Let's look at what he says specifically, because I think it's going to bless you tonight. It's something that God, I'll share this story a little bit later in the message, but it's something that came to my life. You know, those moments that people talk about, they're like, yeah, I just like had my Bible here, and I was walking through something, and then I just turned to the page, and God breathed, and he spoke to me. Up until that point, I was like, that's garbage. That never happens, right? This moment it actually happened. I was about 18 years old. Again, I'll tell you in a second. But the Lord showed me Romans chapter 8, verses, six, eight, verses 16 through 18, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. For his spirit joins with us, or for his spirit joins with our spirits. I'm going to read it from the screen because I do that back home. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Pause. Notice how Paul, the first thing he comes to the Romans with, when he's helping them stay strong in the faith through their pain, he doesn't even talk about their pain. What does he remind them of? God's spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. Hey, everything's going to be okay because you're a child of God. It doesn't mean that the pain is going to go away, and it doesn't mean you get expedited through it. It just means you have God walking through you with it. All right? Look at verse 17. And since we're his children, we are are his heirs. You're going to have to bear with me because I like preaching verse by verse, expository. Let me get a year, all right? And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Check, this is amazing. This You're going to have to read this on your own tomorrow whenever you squeeze in devos, all right? But, but he's saying not only are you a child of God, but you're an heir. You know what an heir is? Like in King, you ever watch Lord of the Rings or something like that? When they're like, he's the heir to Gondor, you know what I mean? Like the heir of Slytherin, a little Harry Potter reference, all right? When, when someone says you're an heir, it means what's theirs is yours. What's theirs is yours. So Paul is telling the church in Rome, hey, you guys are children of God. And because you're children of God and because his spirit joins with your spirit, you're an heir. Some of you tonight came in with, a, with an orphan mentality. You're around the things of God. You've seen what God can do. But you don't know him personally as a son would know a father, as a daughter would know their parents. You don't know him personally. You need to know you're not a victim. You're not a prisoner. You are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, that means you're his heir. What's his is yours. Let's look at the next verse real quick. In fact... Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. This is where it gets good, all right? Not only are you an heir, but you're an heir of his glory. Do you know what happens in the glory of the Lord? We experienced it just now. When the glory's in the room, you don't have to wait for altar call formalities, some of us view the altar as a, as a means to the end. Listen, God can move wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and do whatever he wants. He doesn't need man's permission. He's not a respecter of persons. He can, do, he can spontaneously interrupt this message right now, and I'd be so okay with it we felt that glory. I almost fell on my face over here. The glory of the Lord was in the room. There were people in the room who were already weeping in his presence because they felt him addressing things that needed to be addressed or pointing out things, not just for the sake of pointing them out, but so he can work in them. Listen, God can only heal what you reveal. Sometimes he has to put a finger on it so that you're able, so it like bubbles to the surface and you say, God, here it is. That's what can happen in the glory of God. Can I tell you? In our student ministry, I've seen people who were born deaf without nerves in their ears walk out of services because the glory of the Lord was in the room with a creative miracle in that they went to the doctor and the doctor said the nerve is there now and they can hear. I've seen students, I'm, I'm talking personally, not hearing about it. This is, some of you need to personally experience the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord doesn't lead to behavior modification. It leads to complete life transformation. I want to just, let me go on a tangent real quick. Some of us come to retreat for behavior modification. That's why the change doesn't last or the miracle doesn't last or the work doesn't last. And then we blame God like, oh God, why'd you place an expiration date on it? Well, you're going to get what you seek. And if all you're seeking in the glory of the Lord is behavior modification, you are missing out on your right as an heir. In the glory of the Lord, there's not just behavior modification. So you go back and do better and try harder. It's complete and radical transformation. It means you, get, you go back home and it's not that you're sinless, but you sin less. That's what's in the glory of the Lord. And you and I are heirs. We share in that glory. But now here, all of us are like, we love that. I love glory. I love honor. I'd love to be healed tonight. I'd love for him to break my addictions tonight. I'd love, to help. I'd love for him to help me stop watching pornography tonight. That would be amazing. But look, at, there's a cost to this. It says, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Uh-oh. <laughs> God, I like your Glory. I'm not about that suffering (laughs) life. Some of us were like, Lord, just waiting in a long line at the grocery store. Suffering. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we look at a verse like this and we're like, what is, that means I have to walk through pain. And look at what Paul does to encourage them and encourage us tonight. Because some of you, when you saw Sharon suffering, you're like, oh, snap. So the whole time I've been blaming God for things. And the reality is that as I walk through pain, I'm actually sharing and suffering with Christ. So I've been avoiding what he wants to use for his purpose. Oh, Look at what verse 18 says. Yet what we suffer now, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. Man, I just felt the presence of the Lord in the room. I hope that's an encouragement for you today. You're his child, which means you're an heir to the glory. You can share. Some of us are like, no, God, the glory is all to you. We understand that. But Paul is literally saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That we, because of what Christ did, share in the glory of the Lord. That means he wants to use you to do things you couldn't do on your own. He wants you to experience things that you could never achieve or do or accomplish on your own. It's not that we're robbing God of the glory because we acknowledge that it's all through God and for God and to God. But because of what Christ Jesus did, we can share in it. We can partake of it. Be like if there was a meal at the table that belonged to me, we all acknowledge that it belongs to me. But it would be like me saying, hey, you can come to the table and eat too. You can partake in what I'm dishing out. Does that make sense? Are you getting that tonight? So we have to come to the conclusion, we have to get to the end of ourselves and come to the conclusion that if the cost of sharing in the glory of Christ is sharing and suffering with Christ, then our suffering is nothing compared to the glory that God wants to reveal. All the pain that you've experienced up to this point in your life is nothing compared to one moment God can have with you at this retreat. One moment that could happen in your life group or mini group or whatever, what are they called? XL plus, XL plus. I love that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not Disney plus. I want an XL plus. That's a better plus anyway. <laughs> One moment in your XL plus group. Where are my Jaywalkers at? Shout out to the Jaywalkers. Are y'all, are y'all, are, are y'all junior hires? Hey, I started as a junior high pastor. Don't sleep on junior hires. All right. You show me a healthy junior high group, I'll show you an outstanding student ministry in three years, okay? I'm just saying. High schoolers, that's no shade to you. I love y'all too. Y'all are the ones who are going to trailblaze and lead the way. Because who's going to show them if you don't? That's why it's important you got a notebook and you're leaning in and writing this down. Because if you want to think it and share it later, you need to ink it now. Sorry, I'm a pastor at heart. So look, I'm a disciple. If you ain't got a notebook, get one. Get your phone. Do what you got to do to write it down, all right? You can't tell me what you ate for lunch three days ago. How are you going to remember this word a week from now? Our suffering is nothing compared to the glory that he wants to reveal to us later. This, this whole passage gives us a snapshot on how God can use pain to push us into his glory and glory leads to growth. So I want to give you three things real quick on how God uses pain to help us grow. Number one, pain exposes what you can't do. (laughs) Pain exposes what you can't do. I want to give you a passage of scripture found in John chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. This is Jesus. This is one of Jesus' last moments with his disciples before he's crucified. Think about this. If you were going to die, if you were going to die, and you knew when, and the time quickly came, wouldn't you want to get a group of friends together and say what was most important to you? I'm giving you the context so you understand the weight of this passage of Scripture. Don't ever just look at scripture and take it for what that one line says. You need to know what it said before and after. And the context of this verse is Jesus is about to be arrested, whipped, crushed, bruised, and ultimately crucified. So he has a last moment with his friends. And in this moment, he tells the disciples a lot of things. He talks to them about unity. He talks to them about love. But then he takes a moment. To point out something that they're going to do and then something that they can't do. Look at it with me, John 16, 32, 33. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Could you imagine being a disciple? Most of the disciples didn't really listen to Jesus because if they did, they would have taken his word when he said that he would ultimately pay the price for our sins with his life. So this moment catches them completely by surprise. Isn't that kind of how pain works sometimes? Isn't that how suffering kind of happens when you least expect it? When you didn't see it coming. At your weakest point so Jesus tells them, a time is coming. And as a matter of fact, it's right now. You're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me all alone. I want to point this out about this specific point. Sometimes when you and I walk through pain and suffering, our first reaction, our initial instinct is to run away from God to separate ourselves from him. It's almost like our initial reaction to pain is to cut off what matters most. Or if we've made a mistake, and when I say mistake, let me just be real because I'm with city folk, all right? And I'm a hood hillbilly, all right? I'd started here and now I'm in Missouri and I like to fish, but don't get it twisted, all right? So can I just be honest? Most of the time when we experience pain, it's self-inflicted. It's because we knew what to do, but didn't do it. Or we knew we shouldn't do it, and we did it. As I say that, I know that in your minds right now, some of you are thinking exactly what it was. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have been with him. I shouldn't have been with her. I shouldn't have you fill in the blame. And it's that self-inflicted pain that causes us to say, nope. We, f- we forget completely about us being heirs. We forget completely about us being his children. We forget completely about the joy of our salvation when God brought us out of darkness into his glorious light. All because of one moment. Isn't it funny that when pain happens, especially self-inflicted pain, we automatically think that we need to forfeit something that God has said we have for eternity for something that happened momentarily. God, I know that because of what you accomplished on the cross, you, you paid for my sin, past, present, and future. I know, that, I, know that, I know that you've given your son, Jesus, you gave your life so that I could experience heaven on earth, your kingdom come and your will be done, and so that I could live in eternity with you. But then, boom, sin comes into the picture, and we allow a moment to compromise eternity. You know what's awesome, though? Jesus isn't surprised by that. Some of us run away from Jesus because we think that in our pain, it pushes us away and that he can't handle it. Or we, you know, we're afraid to expose it because what is he going to think of us? What are other people going to think about us? But I love what Jesus does in this, in this passage. Look at this. Yet, I'm not alone for my father is with me. Go to the next verse. <laughs> this is awesome. I almost feel like he's talking to us when he says this, but this is him talking to his disciples. As his disciples are processing, man, we're going to mess up royally. He says, I've told you these things. Not to judge you, not to condemn you, not to push you away, but so that in me you may have. You're going to help me preach so you stay awake tonight. So you may have peace. And then what does he say? This is amazing. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I believe this during the altar tonight. You and I have a choice to make. Are we going to allow pain, moments of pain, to deter us from the reality that is eternity with Jesus? Or are we going to look our pain in the face And say, Jesus isn't surprised by this. And he doesn't judge me for it. He knew it was coming. So I'm going to give it to him. In this life, you'll have many troubles. In this life, you're going to make mistakes. In this life, people are going to do things to you that are out of your control. In this life, you are going to do things to people that hurt them. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And tonight, some of you are going to walk out, I hope everyone walks out, with victory. Point number two, pain teaches what you should do. So not only does pain expose what you're not able to do, but it teaches what you should do. So in our own strength, you and I don't have the ability to process pain the way that God could. We saw that with what the disciples' initial reaction was, and we saw it. We saw that Jesus wasn't surprised by it, but pain also teaches us what we should do. Look at First Peter five seven. This is our big homie Paul, bringing the word again, writing another letter. This just makes me want to write more letters and send less text messages. You know what I mean? Like, I just need to encourage people like this. Can we look at that verse real quick? So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Pain teach, leave that verse up. Pain teaches what you and I should do. What should we do when we experience hardship, suffering, or pain of any kind? We should humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. Because why? Because at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I want to talk to the people real quick who have really gone through some things. Can we just be honest as believers? Right? Like we were humans before we were Christians. Can we just be human for a second? It's really hard to humble yourself when you're angry. It's really hard to humble yourself when you don't understand. And it's even harder when you feel like things aren't fair. You know, this this right here speaks to me so personally because I've had moments where I found it real hard to be humble. For me personally, it goes like this. God, it's real hard to be humble when everybody else has a dad who gets to play with their grandkids, and I don't. God, it's really hard to be humble when I feel like I've done nothing to deserve what life has thrown my way. Can I be real with you guys? Coming to this city and preaching is a little bit of healing for me too. I'm not from Chicago. I was born in Waukegan. We had a military set of parents who were pastors. We moved all over the place. But Chicago is where we experienced our childhood and teenage years, at least for me, formative years, years that you are going through right now. And while Chicago produced a lot of memories for me, it's also the city that produced the most pain for me. I'm thinking as an 11-year-old who's just moved to the city, Why aren't I brown enough for the people who look like me? Let's just, let's keep it a buck. Why are these people so, why are people wanting to harm me? I don't understand. My first day in the city, my brothers and I, I'm 11. That makes them eight. We go to Kilborn Park. Oh, y'all thought I was like talking about the suburbs of Chicago. No, I'm talking about in Chicago, okay? By Schur's. We, we go to the playground. We play. We're at the tennis court. We know nothing about anything because we lived in Florida. We just assume the best in people. We're pastor's kids. We're like, yay. We're my pastor's kids. <laughs> we're like, I get to sleep in church and get a pass for a <laughs> year. I don't think I've ever uttered a single bad word in my life. I was convicted when I watched the Scooby-Doo movie. I know nothing about anything which was appropriate for my age. And I remember climbing the fence on that tennis court. My brothers and I we're, were just hanging out. And all of a sudden we see two groups of people, one on this side, one on this side. We're like, oh, they're playing. We should go down and play. By the grace of God, we didn't, because before we knew it in a split second, there were bottles, there were bats. What we didn't understand was that that was, I don't know if it was a gang fight. I don't know what it was, but I knew when I saw it that it wasn't right. You know, it was hard for me to be humble as a seventh grader new to the city when every day. Every day I experienced torment that if any junior hire went through right now, you better believe a psychologist would be called, the cops would be called, parents would be called. But let me give you perspective real quick. Every day I was tormented by someone and I don't have a victim mentality. I would say that one of the gifts of the Marty boys is we can take a punch. Every day. You know what didn't help? My biggest bully was also my best friend who lived right next to me. It was hard for me to be humble and remember what they sang in vacation Bible school when I'm getting drugged by my caller down blocks on ice with no jacket. It was hard for me to be humble as a seventh grader when out of nowhere for no rhyme or reason, I'm sitting down and somebody sets my pants on fire. Where are you, God. You told my parents this was the land of milk and honey. You said the grass would be greener and all I see are dead weeds. I want to go home. It was hard to be humble when I had teachers in eighth grade who hated me so much that instead of setting my test scores out to the schools that I selected for my high school years, they turned mine in last. It was hard for me as a freshman to be humble to the Lord when I would see my closest friends get their heads kicked into tires. It was hard as a sophomore when I, when I couldn't find anybody who would believe what I was seeing or going through. It was hard as a junior to be humble to the Lord when at that point in my life I had been so conditioned to suffering That every bit of me that used to be there was gone. And all that stood there was a glorified punching bag. A zombie in a depressive state just taking it. It was hard for me as a junior at Lakeview High School to be told by a teacher, you're going to be another statistic. And it was even harder to trust the Lord when my brothers and I were just walking and all of a sudden got chased down by somebody who wanted to end our lives. It was hard to be humble. Sometimes pain makes it hard to be humble. But I want to tell you today that pain, plus the presence of God, will give you the right perspective to get through it. Your initial, your initial instinct, when you feel great moments of pain, needs to be to run to God, not away from him. And you better believe this. God will continue to allow things so that you get it across, that you get this point across, that in your weakness, he's strong. You will come to the end of yourself. In order for us to process pain the right way, It's pain. I want to give you an equation. Pain plus the presence of God equals the perspective of God. Pain plus the presence of God equals the perspective of God. The day I found out my dad died at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning, my initial reaction was, God, you are good. You do good and you will work this out for my good. My dad taught us something really valuable. We don't blame God. We trust him. And that's a lesson that you can only learn if you'll allow pain to teach it. And how do we learn that lesson? It's pain through the presence of God. Sometimes, sometimes if you're walking through something hard or painful, All you need to do is throw some worship on and just lay down. Weep. Call out to the Lord. You look at David in the Psalms. David time and time again goes through anguish. And we have the book of Psalms partly because he loved God and he praised God. But mostly because he was dependent on God and desperate for him. Pain plus the presence of God gives you the right perspective. What's the right perspective? Write this down. God, you are good. You do good. And you're going to cause everything to work together for my good. You care for me. Listen, I'm going to help you grow in in your maturity tonight when it comes to your walk with God. If your love and trust for the Lord is contingent upon you understanding everything he does. You will be very infant in your relationship with God for the rest of your life. If your relationship with God is dependent on you understanding every single thing he does and why he does it and what he's going to do next, you'll find yourself stuck. The Bible makes it very clear. His ways are what? Higher than our ways. And his thoughts are what? Higher than our thoughts. And rather than sulk and waste time trying to figure out why. We need to give glory to the who. God, I don't understand. But you are good and you do good. I know Pastor Izzy said this yesterday, but I want to reiterate this. One of the greatest pains in my life. It was losing my dad. I struggled with that for a long time. But can I tell you, I've allowed God through pain to teach me this lesson, that he works all things together for his good. Because if I had a choice between him being alive, this is going to sound crazy, between him being alive and everything playing out different, or everything happening exactly how it happened so I could be here today to help you. I would choose everything to happen the way that it has because God does not make accidents. He causes everything to work together for our good. Here's the last point. Pain doesn't just expose what we can't do and teach us what we should do. Pain shows us what God can do. First Peter chapter 5 verses 10 through 11. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory. We've heard that somewhere already, right? It's like the same guy wrote it. (laughs) He did. All right. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered for a little while. (laughs) So after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. All pain feels bad. But all pain has a purpose. And because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, when he gave his life for you, you you and I can experience what God can do in pain. Tonight, I believe this. God wants to do exactly what he said in this word right here. He wants to restore. What does that mean? I believe tonight God wants to emotionally and mentally heal some people. I believe God wants to redeem moments in your life that have been irredeemable. Things that have weighed you down that you've carried hurt from season to season in. God wants to release you from every negative thing that has come as a result of that. He wants to bring closure. He doesn't just, this is a word for somebody. God is not in the business of just putting your heart back together after it's broken. He wants to give you a new heart. In the book of Ezekiel 33, he says this, and I'll give you a new heart, not a heart of stone, not a hardened heart, a heart of flesh. That's a word for somebody tonight. You've grown apathetic. You've become depressed. Maybe you're taking medication for it. God wants to take your hardened heart, soften it again. What else does he want to do? He wants to support you. I know for a fact that there are people in this room who came to retreat, and even though you're surrounded by so many people, and even though the presence of God is in this room, you still feel alone. As a matter of fact, you feel lonelier in a crowd like this. He wants you to know that he's behind you. He supports you. He's not just behind you, though. He's beside you. He's gone before you. He's with you. What else does he want to do? Strengthen you. Maybe you're a believer in this room. You love Jesus. But you would say, God, I've fought the good fight. I've done everything I know to do. I don't know how much more I can pray. I don't know how much more Bible I can read. And I trust you and I love you and you know that. But in this moment, I feel pressed from every side. I feel crushed. I need help. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to remind you of the joy and the strength and the love that you experienced when you first gave your life to him. And lastly, he's going to place you on a firm foundation. You know, one of the things I walked away from the city being good at is surviving. Anybody feel that in the room, if you were honest? I'm good at just going through the motions. I'm good at keeping my head low. I'm good at just making it. I'm going to just make it through junior high. And then I'm going to just make it out of high school. And then I'm just going to make it into a job. Or I'm just going to make it through college. We have this survivor mentality that I'm just going to take hits and I'm going to keep moving forward. And tonight, when I see firm foundation, most of us would say, well, yeah, Pastor One, that means he's just going to make you firm so that you can survive. So when the storm hits, right, we've heard this analogy. Firm foundation so that when the storm hits and the wind blows, you're able to be steadfast. You're still getting beat up, but you can stand through it. And here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to bust that myth tonight. Because I believe this. Firm foundations are not just so you can withstand the winds but so that you can grow. See, when architects build a house, they don't just build a cornerstone and then leave it so it can take hits. They lay out a firm foundation for what? So that they can continue to build. So that somebody could live in that house and not just live, but enjoy their lives. Not just survive, but thrive. So I'm here to tell somebody with a survivor mentality tonight that when God places you on a firm foundation, it's not just so you could survive through this life, but that that you could be alive and you can thrive in this life. And it is possible. Let me tell you something. I've been out of the city now for years. I couldn't even put a number on it. The last time I was in this city, I came on vacation once. (laughs) Honestly, I hated it. was hard for me to see the old neighborhoods and see everything that's better now and not say, God, why couldn't it be better then? But as I've driven through the city of Chicago today and seen places that remind me of things that have happened, my initial reaction this evening was, you are good and you do good. And never, God, have I seen the righteous forsaken You have not abandoned me. You did not leave me to dry. I was not another statistic. God, if not for your grace and mercy in that season, even though I didn't feel it, even though I didn't see it, if not for your grace and mercy and your providence and your promise and your purpose, where would I be? Praise God. I say all this to say this and then I'm done. Did it for me. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. He wants to do it. Here's what we're going to do. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room. God, I pray as we go into this time of worship. That you would move in hearts. You would tear down walls. That you would strengthen. That you would support. That you would lay a firm foundation. That you would heal. That you would redeem memories. That you would heal pain and redeem it, God. That you would do a deep work in every student's life tonight. And God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus and is facing pain on their own much like the disciples did, I pray tonight they would make the best decision they could ever make and say yes to the same Jesus who not only knew the disciples were gonna mess up, but blessed their mess. You can look up, here's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna all come up, because I know that that's the culture of Excel. I love that. You're gonna stand up on your feet, you're gonna join me down here at the altar. We're going to go into this song. And then after the song, we'll give some further instruction. But here's what I recommend you do tonight. As you are worshiping, open up your life. Open up your heart. Open up your mind. Don't try to understand. Don't try to logic your way through this thing. Worship. And if the pain comes up, worship. And if regret comes up, worship. So would you do this? Would you stand up on your feet, come down to the front? Let's worship.